0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. We have to remind ourselves that direction, not intention, determines destination. Every year you have to remind yourself, if you're going to get stronger this year, you're going to have to go to the gym or pump some iron. If you want to get stronger, you have to do something different. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Finds. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. You're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. Pastor Jeff has started a new series on recommitment, reawakening, and revival. This is a series helping us to refocus our goals and aims on God. He's partway through this message, and we're about to pick up as he helps us think about what our goals are and how we're going to reach them. Pastor Jeff is reading through Genesis chapter three. We're starting with verses one through 13. Now, what this is saying is that because bid, let's start with the men, we'll get to the women, with the bid You are wired in such a way to rule and to subdue creation. But a fracture has happened in your life because you're alienated to some degree because of sin from God. Because you're alienated to some degree from God, now you don't rule and subdue creation like you were originally designed to do, so now you look for something else to rule and subdue. And sometimes men will turn to their wife and their families And they will be frustrated that they can't rule and subdue there, so I'm going to rule and subdue here. And they have no idea what it is to be a servant leader. In their mind, they're the boss of this family, and I'm going to rule it because they're frustrated. What do wives do? Women, on the other hand, sometimes make a god out of their husband. When the Bible says your desire will be for your husband, I've had a lot of men say, well, I know I can't trust the Bible now. You got it? You got it? But what the word actually means, there's two sides to it, and I've dealt with one in the past, and I don't want to go into that side, but one side of it is simply this. Rather than desiring God in the ultimate divine romance, you look to your husband to to be a pseudo-savior, and you've cast all these projections on your husband to save you rather than ultimately pursuing God. First of all, no man can live up to that. And so there's this inner turmoil intention. Sin takes something that's good, like gender roles, and makes an idol out of them. So that men rule over rather than lead, servant lead, and women desire their husband and depend on their husband for their own personal self-worth rather than placing their ultimate hope and security in God. I don't know how many times I've heard a young girl say: if I could just find a good man, all my problems will be solved. Oh man. They have no idea, do they? Your problems are just beginning. (laughs) You know, a story, I got to stop here, just a story that is old as time itself. There's a story in the Bible about Jacob and Rachel. Most of you know the story, but there's also Leah. And Leah is trying to win the heart of Jacob because she lives in the shadow of her beautiful sister, Rachel, and Leah is an ugly duckling. So, you remember what happened? Jacob works and he's supposed to get Rachel, but the father sneaks Leah into the tent and because he's drunk, he doesn't realize he's just married the ugly duckling. I'm just using biblical terms. I'm not, okay, I'm just using biblical terms here. It's true. It's another sermon. So Jacob says, man, I, or, or uh, uh, Jacob's father uh, or Jacob's uncle Laban says, man, this is my perfect opportunity because Leah ain't never gonna get a husband. I got to throw her into the tent. But Leah now starts to do with Jacob what Jacob is trying to do with Rachel, because Jacob thinks all my problems will be solved. I lied to my father, stole the birthright from my brother, had to flee town, and all my problems will be solved if this beautiful girl, Rachel, will fall in love with me. So you got two people using this as a way to save themselves. Well, Leah ends up being the hero of the story, and we seldom forget that. Unfortunately, it's a hard road to get there because she starts saying this, and I know this would never happen in a modern-day culture, but in an ancient culture, Leah said, if I start having babies, he'll stay with me and love me. So she starts having babies and giving them names to get the attention of Jacob. So she has Reuben, which means to see. Maybe he'll stop looking straight through me and see me. Then she has another son, Simeon, which means to hear. Maybe now he'll listen to the cries of my heart to be loved. Then she has another son, names him Levi, which means to attach. Maybe now he'll attach himself to me like a husband should his wife. But then something happens along the way. While she's elevated her husband to a pseudo-savior, she's also craving intimacy with God. And she finally has a breakthrough. She's the hero of the story because she has another child, Judah, Genesis 29, 35 means praise. This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. She stopped having children, the Bible says. No need, because she took the deepest, most passionate desires of her heart, took them away from her husband, put them unto the Lord. What sin does, it takes something good like marriage, love, relationships, even children, and makes a God out of them. And you have an idol in your life. And all of these gods and false idols means that there is alienation between you and the real God because these idols can never deliver, no matter how good they are, our relationships with each other even self-destruct because nobody can live up to a God-like status, a pseudo-savior. You ever had a friend that just, man, just followed you around and you couldn't get rid of them? They see you as a pseudo-savior. If they've got you, everything is fine. But what ends up happening? They chase you away. When you try to take something that was meant to deliver something and you try to make it deliver something else, it usually ends up disintegrating. There's something else. This alienation, I got to hammer this just for a moment. There's something else we're alienated from and you'll find it in verse 19 of chapter 3. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are and the dust you will return. The alienation is not only between us internally, but other people as well. There's an alienation from nature. Oh, man, nature. We're supposed to be in charge of nature. Did you know that? We're supposed to take care of it, cultivate it. But now it's in charge of us. We toil in the dust. We fight in the dust. We farm in the dust. And in the end, who wins? The dust. <laughs> Irma Bombeck, Brombeck, which is a favorite writer. She's a philosopher, comedian. This is what she says. And every woman in the room will understand this. The main enemy of my life is dirt. Dirt in the diaper, dirt on the plate, on the rug, on the sheets. You stand at the end of the house and work your way to the other end, and by the time you finish, the first end is dirty again. And what do you get at the end of your life for all this trouble? Six feet of dirt. That's a good translation of Genesis 3.19. You spend your entire life fighting dirt, and in the end, dirt wins. But what's this mean? What is the imagery? The imagery is that death, disease, natural disasters, all of it, are simply a result of the fact that we have rebelled. Nature is not doing what it was originally meant to do. Read Romans 8 sometimes, starting with verse 18, and you'll read that the creation itself cries out to be restored to its original purpose. It was meant to serve us, to grant us these incredible experiences whereby we would cry out in worship and thanksgiving toward God. But most of us end up worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Think about it. What keeps us from church so often? The creation. The creation. So God gives us the beautiful creation, and instead of worshiping the giver, we worship the gift. And the Bible says we've taken ourselves, when we do that out of the proper place, and that causes alienation. Think about it like this, I love grandfather clocks. When my wife forces me to go antique shopping, I'll instantly look for a grandfather clock and golf balls. Those are the only two things I'm interested in. And so we go in, if you open a grandfather clock, they're quite amazing. Every cog in the wheel works perfectly. Every link in the chain, every gear, every part, perfect unity and diversity. Now, what happens in a grandfather clock if one cog, just one, says, I don't want to be here? What happens if it has the ability to leap down out of place into the lower gears? It won't be long till you hear grinding. The clock will go berserk, out of whack. It'll disintegrate. And you and I, the Bible says, are the one gear that decided to pop off its axle and attempt to take the place of God rather than worshiping and obeying God. So Elizabeth Elliot says, if you see a clam or a frog or a pigeon on the way home, take notice, the pigeon is glorifying God better than you are because the pigeon is doing and being what God made it to do and to be. In other words, it's on the axle, you and I are not. George Whitfield, the great uh, preacher, uh, what, 19th century, okay, look it up. He says this, Have you ever noticed that when you get near the minions of nature, why do the birds screech at you? Why do the dogs bark at you? Why do the reptiles hiss at you? Because they know you have a quarrel with their master. And the deeper the quarrel, the more aggressive the creation. Hey, you ever notice? We had Milo. Milo. we, We were often afraid that if somebody came in the house, he would lick them to death before he would inform us. Okay? But... But there were some people who came around Milo that he would growl, and it was so out of character. Isn't it amazing how dogs know people? When you think you know better than God how to live your life, the Bible says that's when everything falls apart. Physically, psychologically, emotionally, when you are out of sync with your creator, your soul weeps. Now, if you go back, however... You say, Pastor Jeff, do you have any good news to this sermon? Okay. (laughs) Hey, just quickly, if you ever tried to, okay, I'm not a good carpenter. So when I'm trying to hammer a nail, I'll grab anything I can. And it's usually my shoe because I don't have to walk anywhere. So I'll just take off my, if you ever hammered a nail with this, you could do it for a while. And then what happens? The disintegration of the shoe. It's that whole argument again of, Of design, the shoe was not designed to hammer a nail. When you use your body in a way that it was not designed to be used, you will disintegrate. It's not like God sits up in heaven and says, I'm gonna think of another way to get you people. No, it's cause and effect in the universe. You live according to his way, you flourish. You don't, you disintegrate. And when you sit on the throne of God and say, I know better, ultimately it is the ultimate betrayal. Okay, any good news? Yes, here's the good news at the end of the sermon. If you are a Christian, the minute you come back under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you begin to heal. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven. You don't have to wait till Romans 8. You can start to heal now. You're breaking down because you're out from under the lordship of Jesus. You're being your own master. And when you think you know better than God how to live your life, that's when everything falls apart, physically, psychologically, emotionally. But if you get back under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, whereby the Holy Spirit and the Word of God becomes your master again, where you decide that today is my Dependence Day, not independence, but Dependence Day, this is the day I truly give my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When you do that and the will is right and you mean it, at that point the Bible says we all begin to heal. That's the promise. I think after being in ministry for many, many years that there are a lot of people who consider themselves Christians who simply are not. Why? Now, I don't know because I can't judge an individual. I can't. Only God knows the heart, mind, and will. So I treat everybody with grace. That's what I do. But obviously, there are a lot of people who wear the name Christ that have no intention of coming under his lordship. No intention. And if there's no intention in your life to come under the lordship of Christ, you only want him as Savior but not Lord, I got a problem. Because then I'm wondering where the Holy Spirit is who's supposed to be convicting you. If there's no guilt and shame and you're able to commit sin against God, not live under his lordship and just do it without guilt, without shame, without regret, I'm concerned about you because the Holy Spirit would never let you do that. There would be guilt, there would be shame. Now notice I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm just saying the will, the will, what does your will want this year? Remember what Isaac Watts wrote in Joy to the World? Creation's gonna be restored and renewed one day. And we're gonna be one with nature. We're gonna walk with the lions, we're gonna ride the giraffe. Oh yeah. We're gonna swim with the whales. He says, No more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. One day the king sets everything right, but if you decide to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ right now, you can be healed. Quickly, now the real end. The nature of sin, you sit on the throne of God. The ramifications of sin, alienation from God. But what is the remedy? Look at verse 14. Let's close this thing together. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, what's unfortunate is I've heard people say this. They'll say, hey, look at this. This is how the snake lost his legs. Snake never had legs. (laughs) Crawl on your belly is a Hebrew term that means docile. It means that whatever kind of power the snake had before, it's lost quite a bit of it. And you will eat dust. Dust is a Hebrew phrase that means judgment. We used to say, eat my dust, right? Judgment, all the days of your life. So it's not like the snake was running around with Air Jordans before. Most of you don't even know what that is, but for those of you who are 50 and older, Air Jordans, their tennis shoe, forget it. And then suddenly, now you've got to crawl on your belt. No, he's been relegated to a lower position and he's got to eat dust all of his life. The same thing you could, by the way, in Genesis nine thirteen. 13, did the rainbow, was there a rainbow before the flood or did God invent the rainbow after the flood? Well, there's always been a rainbow. If you read the text carefully, God says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds in the past, but in the future, it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Rainbow was always there. God said, this rainbow is now a sign that I will never destroy the earth again by water. So when you see a snake crawling in the dust, you're supposed to remember the sign of God's judgment. Dust is a sign of judgment. Now, here's the conclusion. But also remember that there will be a seed of the serpent, a seed of the serpent. What is the seed? There will be people who live like the serpent, who will try to do the same thing that he did, put themselves in the place of God. Did God really say that? I will determine what is right and wrong. I will place myself on God's throne. And the Bible says if you do that, you'll eat dust all your life. So this is a year of revival. Some of you will not come with us You know that? You won't come. Many of you will, but some will not. Because to experience revival, to experience God the way that our church desires to experience God means it starts by putting yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you stop letting culture tell you what is right and wrong and you go back into the word of God. The number one revival killer is when we sit on God's throne and we tell him the way things ought to be. The damage is too great. I'm asking you to humble yourself. Listen, this is the end, end, end. <laughs> True, truly. I'm asking you to, with me, I got stuff in my life. I got stuff in my life. you have stuff in your life? Let's repent. You know what it is. Let's repent. I know what mine is. Let's repent. No more saying, well, you know, I'm saved by grace through faith. So God just kind, you know, he knows I struggle. Okay, okay. WHERE'S THE WILL? DOES THE WILL WANT TO DO BETTER? MOVE OUT OF THE HOUSE. STOP SLEEPING WITH HER. LEAD INTO YOUR MARRIAGE AND AWAY FROM THE AFFAIR. MAKE WORSHIP A NON-NEGOTIABLE. FLEE CONSUMERISM AND NARCISSISM. STOP THE ADDICTION. CAST OUT THE FALSE IDOL. STOP WORSHIPPING MONEY AND POWER AND POSITION. STOP LYING and deceiving, and manipulating everybody around you to get what you think you can't live without. Break up with him. Break up with her. Stop binding yourself to something, someone that does not share your passion for Jesus. Stop watching things that are not appropriate for a child of God. Stop it. Stop the sins of pride, and covetousness, and lust, and anger, and gluttony, and envy, and sloth. And stop telling God what he ought to accept and what he ought to reject on the basis of your understanding. And stop searching desperately for books and people who will tell you that they've discovered that what we thought was wrong for so long is not really wrong. Search the scriptures. Let God be God and his enemies be scattered. Because God really does have your best interest in mind. And you see that in Genesis 3.15, the end of the end of the end. And I will put enmity between you, listen, between you and, your, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This shows you what God is really like. I find this amazing that all the way back in Genesis 3, while God is talking judgment, he gives us the proto-iwagilead, the proto-gospel, the first preaching of the gospel, that God is so eager to bless us in the midst of judgment that he has to tell us. He can't wait to tell us about the gospel, what's coming. I will put empathy between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Now, he's not saying snakes and people from now are gonna hate each other. That's not what this is about. Serpent lost his legs, and this is why people and snakes hate each other. No, he's saying the human race is gonna have two kinds of people. One, people who follow Satan's advice in the garden, people who sit on God's throne, people who constantly say, I don't think God really said that, come on. I don't think God said that. It's okay to do that. It feels so right. It can't be wrong. That's archaic. It's old. And then there's a second group of people people who follow and obey the command of God. Stop. I will put enmity, that's a word that means hatred, between your seed, snake, and hers, Eve's. What does it mean? It means this. The first step of salvation and redemption comes when God puts in your heart a hatred of Satan in all his ways. There it is. If that is not in you, if there... Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not saying today we all agree we're going to be perfect from now on. Uh, not going to happen. What we're saying is today is the day where we're going to start Fighting. Against the addiction, against the sin. And if we know something's wrong, we're gonna try our hardest with the help of the power of the Holy Spirit to live a righteous life. That's what we're deciding. And if that's not in you, then if, if, it, if, there's, no, if there's not even a passion in you to wanna to live that way, then a, either one, you're not saved and don't have the Holy Spirit in you. So this is the week you need, you need to get saved, you need the Holy Spirit. He'll change not only what you do, but what you want to do. Second, maybe you've quenched the fire of the Spirit through your pride. Suddenly, you've gone into a season where you think you know better than God how you should live, and he should just accept things on your terms. And if either one of those are true, then pray the prayer that William Cowper, who wrote many great songs of faith, prayed and wrote it into a hymn when he says this, Return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that make me mourn and drove, me, drove thee from my breast. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to cast it from thy throne and follow only thee. You want revival? Man, I do. I want to see God, feel God, experience God, see him do great things. And the first step, repent, stop it. Let God be God and his enemies be scattered. And if we do that as a people of God, it moves the heart of God. He'll show up. Father, thank you for uh, Genesis chapter three so much here. I pray that where I have done it justice, that it that will be seen that it that falls on ears and makes its way deep into our hearts. If I've said anything that is not consistent with your word, that that would be cast by the wayside, we would forget it, it would not be remembered. Father, I pray that as we are people who were saved by grace through faith, we are also people who have been given a second work of grace called the Holy Spirit who enables us to live a righteous life. Change our heart, O oh God. Is my prayer in Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for "Today with Jeff Finds" wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me wanna dance and sing with every single breath I breathe. I will break this offering. You are my wonder. You make the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Finds.